Greetings. Welcome to the Asana Kitchen podcast. I'm David Garig. And today's subject, I'm titling it Discovering Yourself Beyond Thought. All right, so it's kind of, it's got a few different angles. I've got a few different angles I'm coming from here. Um, I'm going to start with the, a little bit more technical uh, thing dealing right with the heart of the Yoga Sutras, uh, the, the famous Yoga Chitta Vritti Nirodaha. So yoga is happens when the, the thoughts, the activity in the mind is brought to a standstill. Okay, and um, so I'm just going to break down those words, uh, the, the yoga, chitta, vritti, nirodaha, and then even the next sutra, the, the two. There's a few words there, but we'll start with these four words. And yoga, is, so it means connection, um, union. Uh, and union of the individual soul with the universal soul. Okay, so there's this connecting you're looking to do through yoga. Um, and with kind of the deepest aspect of yourself. So you're kind of sifting through all the layers, the more superficial layers the more visible and uh, kind of conscious aspects of your personality and trying to get to the real pith and core of, um, of who you are as a person. And that they describe that as a connection. And, and it's a connection between um, parts of you. or So the, the individual soul, your individual soul, so it's interesting because that it's um, so it's this deep personal connection that you create with um, your depths, but then it's a connection with th that uh, most profound part of you with the greater uh, entirety of life itself. So there's a kind of individual soul within you, and then there's a world soul. And, and so you're looking to connect with your individual soul and then connect that deep part of you with the entirety. Okay, and you do that. So the words um, chitta vritti nirodaha. So when you're, and that's, let's go to the word uh, chitta. So that says, that means uh, in general, the mind and, uh, or thought or thinking and I find it helpful to think of the chitta as a field or a container, a, a vessel for all of the consciousness that you could possibly uh, experience. So that it's a field, your, your, that mind, a vessel, uh, a container for thought. And then uh, vritti, are the, the, the classic definition is like turnings or fluctuations or modifications. And so this is the thoughts that arise within that field uh, of chitta. Okay, and then nirodaha means prevention, restraint, restriction, uh, siege, or uh, locking up, cessation. So it's to, so then that's where you get that the, Yoga happens when those thought forms, the modifications, the, 
that flow of language that uh, we've constantly got occupying uh, the field of our minds, when we can bring that to a standstill, that's when um, yoga happens. And um, that's when we can discover self. Okay, so this is, that, that's the name of this podcast, is, how, is discovering yourself beyond thought, beyond your thoughts. And so we'll just briefly go into the next sutra, which... Uh, because, because that first sutra, as monumental as it is, as a kind of far-reaching and profound and uh, giving you lots of information about what you're trying to do with yoga, it's only uh, the beginning, it's only the setup, right? So that, because it, that's just when yoga, that's how you make yoga happen, is by stopping your thoughts. Okay, and then, and then the next sutra, it says, Tada drashtahu swarupe avastanam. So we, we're going to look at those three words, uh, drashtahu, swarupa, and avastanam. So, um, because this is what happens when you uh, stop your mind. And uh, so that stopping it's, uh, means to arrest. So it's kind of like a... Like that, like in a flash, the field of your mind clears, right? So what, the, and like clouds disappearing from a sky or uh, ripples or waves in a water suddenly clearing. And then there, there it is, the pristine or the, the kind of open space. And, the, and so what, and, and when that space opens within your, the field of your mind, then uh, it says the seer, so drashtahu is looker or seer or spectator or beholder. So you all of a sudden, that you, you reach a deeper aspect of yourself, basically. So it's saying that the thoughts, they somehow are obscuring the depths of you. That, and, um, and so stopping them... Um, makes the depth available. And so swarupa, it means um, <clears throat> intrinsic essence um, and, and, and also peculiar or one's own form or shape or particular relation, um, having one's own particular form or character. And avastana means to abide in, to arrive at, to rest in. So you, so you rest in your peculiar uh, form, your own form, as seer to the world. As, so that drashtahu means looker or seer or beholder. Yeah. Uh, and so in these, the, the words looker, seer, and then even this idea of uh, taking on your, your unique or your particular, uh, your kind of most original form, these are all images for self. And so when you, when you say, when we say discovering yourself beyond thought, we're talking about discovering something peculiar within you. Uh, something, your, something that's your own form, your own shape. 
your own character, something entirely um, unique and original that is unlike anyone or anything else uh, in the cosmos. <sighs> okay, and, and it's a particular way of seeing. See, that word drashtahu uh, is uh, it's a word for self, but and it's a, it's a specific one that's um, relating it to seeing or looking or beholding. And I love that because really then when th thoughts are not kind of obscuring uh, our reality, our thoughts about reality, when we're in a kind of a direct experience, then just merely how we see the world, what we behold, um, is uh, singular and it's unique, and it is bringing rest and satisfaction. Whereas when we're identifying with our thoughts and the more superficial aspects of ourselves, that's when we are, are restless or unsatisfied or hungering. And so if we, so if we back up for a moment with, uh, to the idea of vritti, so actually, there's, it's a, that set of sutras, it comes in three. And so the, the sutra after these two is, it says, vritti sarupyam itaratra. And so, it, and that means that, um, so basically, when we are not in a state of nirodaha, okay, when, when there's thoughts moving through the field of our mind, um, we're identifying with those thoughts. We're conforming to those vrittis and not with our, uh, our intrinsic essence as seer, not with this deeper part of ourselves. Okay, and so, and, and so the vrittis is worth, uh, very much worth exploring what are these thoughts, right? It's not just a general thing, it's, it, it's actually very specific. And, um, so, and you can put it in ordinary language and really just analyze, like, what are, the, what are the content of my thoughts at any given time? And you can say that there's um, desires, right, that we're thinking about, um, kind of we can project into the future, uh, be in the past, and um, there's worries and uh, fears, and um, reactions, emotions, anger or jealousy, and um, and different um, things that we're attracted to, kind of desiring, and then things that we have aversion to. Right. So all of these uh, things are kind of mixed in, and the Yoga Sutras provides you with with that, and they 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 categorize it into five. Um, five types of vrittis, okay? And, um, and so we'll go through those really quickly just to, uh, just to ground it, to think of, because if we're, because this is the thing, is there's a few different problems that we're, we have to negotiate or, uh, or work with, or puzzles, you could say. And so 
One is, is just getting a handle on the idea of, uh, of stopping thought and like, um, it's a completely foreign idea, really, like that, um, and it's something very um, deep, all of its own, is to come to this place of like, not just being sub synonymous with your thoughts. So not just thinking all the time and never getting any kind of distance from your thoughts, never getting to a meta perspective um, as a looker or a seer of like being um, kind of somehow detached or above or beyond and going, there it is. This is, this is David in action. Whatever is going on in his mind, his worrying, his fears, his desires, or even his, um, his happiness or his joy, that what, so what is going on in there? Uh, okay, so the five um, vrittis are, first one is pramana, and that um, it means proof or testimony or evidence, and it also means uh, measure or right measure, right perception, uh, correct notion. Okay, so this is uh, one of the things that's going on in our minds, is that we um, are constantly measuring reality with our perceptions and our thought process. And so, and often we get it right, right? Like just when we're doing anything, uh, driving, uh, walking, uh, just constantly um, having correct notions about as we negotiate our reality. Okay, and then um, the, the second one is vipariyaya, which is the exact opposite. It's a mistake or a misapprehension. And um, it's an error. And it goes further than arrow, error. It says reversed or turning around or any, mistaking anything to be the reverse or the opposite of what it is, <laughs> right? So, and the classic yoga example is um, walking along at dusk and mistaking a rope for a snake, right? And we, so we can be so sure that that rope is a snake and then it's not, it's a rope. Okay, and there's, and so this is, constantly going on and um, that we're in smaller and larger ways we are we're um, not only mistaking or misapprehending we're reversing um, things okay and we'll say at this point the the they, they qualify those vrittis by telling you that they can be either klishta or aklishta and klishta means um, Pain, they're connected with pain or suffering, or, or they're not easily intelligible or obscure. Okay, so, so vrittis, this is the thing, is they, they cause this pain or um, they obscure the, your perception of reality. And, that, and it also means worn or weary or tormented or afflicted, distressed. Okay, and so, and then, but then there's aklishta. Um, vrittis, which are unwearied or undisturbed or untroubled. So we've got the, 
Sometimes the thoughts that we ha have are not uh, disturbing us, and, but often they are. And, um, and so, but even, even within that, even though that some don't disturb us and some do, we're still trying to come to this place where we arrest all thought. Okay, and it's quite easy to see how uh, mistaking or get, uh, getting completely reversing um, things in our perception, how that would cause klishta, us to be distressed or, or suffering. Um, okay, then the third uh, vritti is vikalpa, okay, which means um, imagination or mental occupation, and or it means like sort of fanciful. It's um, ha thoughts uh, that don't exactly correspond to concrete reality. And so this, I'm hoping to get to th this um, imagination. So it's a very important word to me in this idea of discovering self beyond thought. Okay, and so it's, it's very interesting to me that in yoga, imagination is thought of a vrit, as a vritti and something that you want to um, stop, put a stop to. And, but I will tell you that partly vikalpa means irresolute or indecision, hesitation, uh, doubt. You see, and this is something that we constantly, the, goes on in our minds, is this, um, we don't, we're confused or we're undecided and, uh, and we are doubtful and so there's a, that's causing so much fear and anxiety and hesitation and um, kind of conflict in our in our mind, and um, and even the the vikalpa is the admission of an option, <laughs> right? So or an alternative, and so th this is partly what's going on in our minds is we're weighing options and we're coming up with alternatives and like this. This can happen. So, and this can be both klishta, can be um, obscuring, um, make things not easily intelligible, can be connected with pain or distress, or it can be, uh, un it doesn't have to be disturbing. Okay, and, um, and then finally, we've got the last two, which are nidra, which is sleep or drowsiness. And um, so that it's obvious that um, going to sleep does not constitute a state of nirodaha or samadhi, right? That somehow we're still, our minds are still active even when we're asleep. And so it's, it's very important to make that distinction that just falling asleep or kind of lapsing into unconsciousness doesn't, doesn't stop thought. All right, and then smriti is a very important one. It means uh, memory and, um, or calling to mind, and, um, and, it, and it's associated with um, wish and desire and um, or thinking of or upon. And again, that can be distress-causing, um, this memory or calling to mind or wishing or desiring. Um, thinking upon, or it can not be um, disturbing.
Okay, so that just gives a little idea of all of this stuff going on in our minds. And it's a very kind of organized weave in its chaoticness, right? That it's because we, we fall into patterns of thought or patterns of desire, patterns of, of aversion, patterns of um, ego, and um, patterns of memory or patterns of going into the future, right? And, um, and these patterns become very um, entrenched and they become... Um, our personalities and our self-identities, like, like this is how we learn to think of ourself, is um, these kind of aggregate of our thoughts and, um, that, are, that we keep repeating and um, just returning to habitually. So yoga is this process of, my goodness, of stopping that. It's a very challenging prospect. And there's a certain uh, physical aspect to it of like, um, like what, when we do asanas and breathing, we're stopping our bodies and regulating our breath and trying to get to this place of clearing the mind. And, but it's also not um, literal. It's, a, it's an identification with. So it's a learning not to identify with that constant flow of... Um, vrittis that are um, occupying our minds. And it is a very interesting, uh, one of the definitions of vritti is they, they take it into that language world, but I think it's really curious, which is profession or job, um, occupation, and general usage, and in the habit of. So this is the thing, it's like we're trying to have a look at what is occupying our mind. How do we generally use it? What job do have, is our mind doing um, kind of continually as we go throughout the day? What are we in the habit of? And then learning to um, make much more conscious choices about how we occupy our minds and um, take more control. Okay, and this... Um, Goes, get, brings us to a very important little juncture in the idea of um, discovering yourself beyond your thought. Okay, which, and so it's because we've got, on one hand, we've got vritti, which is what we've just been describing. And then on the other hand, we've got what's called nirvritti or nirodaha, or stopping that process. Okay, and so, and what you can say is that it's virtually impossible, like, for most every person to go f straight from vritti to nirvritti um, without any training or without any kind of help or um, intermediate step or training wheels, that's almost impossible. Okay, and so in yoga that we have training wheels that are, it's called pravritti. So you go, you go from vritti to pravritti to nirvritti. So the, and the pra the difference between pra and nir is, makes all the difference. Pra means higher. Okay, it doesn't mean no thought, it means higher thought or strategic thought or, uh, yeah, technique. And um, so, so this is the thing, is that you're going to occupy your mind very consciously. 
and feed it um, thoughts, basically, and activities. And this is um, what practice is. You can say that practice um, ultimately is, so your Ashtanga practice is uh, a, it's all leading to help, hoping to lead you into a state of nirodaha, where all the, the thought, identifying with your thoughts ceases. And, and so, but you can say that asana, doing asanas, like, and all the actions that go into asana, that's perfect example of pravriti, of higher actions. So you go down into triangle pose and stamp your feet on the earth and brace your legs and arms and work to uh, lengthen your spine. All of this, all of the thoughts that go into that are instead of so many other um, thoughts that could be occupying your mind. And um, pranayama is pravritti. And um, bandhas and mudras, those are all pravritti. So, though, so occupying your mind with certain types of thoughts, certain uh, uh, providing a training ground is part of self-discovery. Okay, and so uh, that's something to to keep in mind. And then the the idea, though, of occupation of your mind, to me, it goes even further, and because. When you really get down to it, you've got this drashtahu um, swarupe of astanam. This is very important. The, the idea that of you being a looker or a seer um, up to the world when you reach your intrinsic essence. And that intrinsic essence is a peculiar. Okay, so it's something um, unusual or different, something that stands out about you, that um, distinguishes you from, distinguishes the very depths of you from everything else about you, and also in relationship to the world itself. And so in a way, it's connected with uh, the word dharma. Okay, so dharma, it means work or sacred work or duty, and it, it, but it also means becoming, just that simple. And so, to me, you can say that um, going through your life, whether you do yoga or not, you're in a constant process of becoming. And David Bowie had that wonderful quote where he said, aging is the, the beautiful process of um, becoming the person that you were always meant to be. And it's so interesting that, uh, that t yeah, that, and that there's so much trial and error in that process. So much um, unclarity about what is the pith of us. What, and, um, and not only that, but there's so much um, how we reject what is peculiar about us, what is different and what is unique. And we're afraid of that. And we, we try to resist and, um, and conform and uh, be like the group and avoid going into our uniqueness. So a lot of the thoughts that we have, that when we're caught up in vrittis, um, in worries and fears and desires, and, and um, especially klishta ones, ones that are causing us distress and suffering, it's, it's just partly us refusing to 
get down to the pith of ourselves and embrace our uniqueness. Okay, and it's such a curious thing that happens because uh, remember at the start when I gave you that definition of yoga as um, the union with, of the individual soul with the universal soul. And so to me, yoga, you go through a very um, kind of paradoxical route to get to a universal self. Is it, you, you, um, in Jung's word, Carl Jung, the, you individuate. So you get fully in touch with your peculiarities and you, you embrace that uniqueness that's at your depths. And, and through that process of in individuation, you identify with the entire world and, and um, sort of come to a much broader, more inclusive, collective vision of your, your life, who you are as a person and what, uh, what is important to you. So you become uh, like a powerful individual in your own right and then learn to embrace that, like, that you're a member of a community, uh, a workforce, a community, a, a nation, and then a, all of humanity itself. Like that you, who you are, is representing a human being. And, and so, um, and that, so that goes way beyond um, your own personal, um, fulfilling your personal needs or your ambitions or, or any of that. Um, okay, so, so, so this is a very interesting little moment we're at here because, because if you're, see yoga always goes to the farthest extreme and doesn't do the best job of um, kind of backing out and filling in the steps along the way. And, um, and so, because, and so I love that, um, the idea that vritti is the, the, the occupation, the profession or the work of your mind. Okay, so before you um, stop thought, then there's, there's this whole, to me, there's this whole idea of kind of getting in touch with your work, right? Like really crystallizing it down. Like you're, what am I here on this earth for? What, what kind of um, seeing, am I, what kind of perspective am I meant to bring to this, my life and this world? What am I meant to share? And so the less clear we are about that, about like the pith of like what's most important to me um, to, to, to see in this world, to perceive, and then to translate into meaningful work, like what I see. How can I work at um, bringing more of it or, or changing how others are seeing things because I value seeing this, right? So the less you are in touch with that or pursuing that within yourself, the more your mind is scattered. 
the more your the thoughts that are going through your head and um, driving you into action will cause you suffering. Mm. Okay, so so in this idea of pravritti, I want to just dwell here for a little moment and um, and understand that the message of the Bhagavad Gita is um, essentially uh, champ. Champion, championing pravriti. Okay, so because yoga, the Bhagavad Gita says two things repeatedly. One is yoga is skill in action. Okay, so it and it it goes into detail about the distinction, making a distinction between the yoga of action and the yoga of renunciation. Okay, and so I love that because. That's a book, a sacred text, a, a book that teaches you and that it's acknowledging this uh, chitta vritti nirodaha, right? That, because, right, because if, if you just consult the Yoga Sutras, it's, it's telling you to stop the activities of your mind, right? It doesn't say anything really about pravritti, or not, not as overtly as it says it talks about stopping thought. Okay, and so you can get the idea that thought is your enemy and that you just need to get rid of it and not value vritti at all. And I disagree with that um, myself. I, I think that you reach a state of nirodaha by, like, by the process that I've been talking to you about, by like eliminating all kinds of superficial and unhelpful thought processes but grabbing on to certain ones um, vigorously, um, at least for a long period of training. And the, and the Bhagavad Gita backs that up by saying, for one, um, it's, it's saying that not, it's not necessarily that by renouncing action um, that a yogi gets free from action. And, um, and then also it just blatantly says that um, all human beings are constantly caught up in action from birth to death and that we're compelled to action continually. And so our best course is to embrace action. And, and then it goes on to say that yoga is skill in action. It's more, for the, it's more about skill in action than it is sopping action. And they, go, they make such statements like, you have the right... See, and then, but then they qualify the action with, with, um, with well, for one, they, they still value, they still mention and talk about renunciation, right? So they're always juxtaposing um, action with renunciation, which is very important. You can't just go that yoga's skill in action and forget about renunciation. No, that... It's that you're stepping from vritti, from random action, to pravritti, to higher action, to a renunciation of action altogether, or a, a complete re, um, receptivity, you could say. So renouncing action is partly um, becoming receptive, so, so not exerting your ego or your will in your action. And that's what the Bhagavad Gita points out. So it says uh, that, for one, you have the right to your action, but not its fruits. Not its fruits. 
Okay, so you, you have to let go of the results of your actions, not be attached to the outcome. So, so your whole uh, arena for acting is based on preparing well, acting skillfully, doing your very best to get the outcome that you desire, but ultimately relinquishing your attachment to the results and, and trusting that the thrust, that trusting the kind of what is beyond your control to catch you, basically, to direct your, your life and to um, bring you to where you need to be, even though you're not ultimately in control of where that is. See, so it's a, it's a devotional text, that Bhagavad Gita. It's saying that ultimately that you're, you're supposed to act with the, all the, the smarts and the full force of your being behind your action, but then you have to trust, okay? And, um, and, and this is the, the amazing thing about that idea of um, occupation, so vritti, so you're, meaning it's your, your job or the occupation of your mind. And, um, and so that, that when you get to your essence and you, you reach that peculiar aspect, that you reach your own nature, this is something given to you by the universe. It's not your choice. It's something you unearth. It's already in place. And, um, and, and so you have to discover it and then embrace it, right? In fact, our peculiarity, the, it's, it's, it's absolutely essential that we realize it's given to us, it's thrust upon us, that we enter into the world with it, because otherwise we would, if we could reject it, if we could be somebody different um, or other than, and um, be more conforming or more like, so-and-so, or this, or that, we would do it, right? But the universe kind of has us in this nifty little bind where we're kind of stuck with that, um, our peculiarity, and that the way to fulfillment and the way to um, living a good life is to embrace that um, peculiarity that we've been given by the cosmos. And that's why the Bhagavad Gita is a devotional text that's telling you, yeah, you, you have your action, but you've got to trust the results to a greater source. And um, even, and, that, and then you're, there's an equanimity then around um, acting uh, so that whether the outcome is, quote, good or bad, um, whether there's failure or success, you're satisfied because you acted to the very best of your ability, and then the results are not ultimately up to you. <laughs> so one more little thing before we leave behind the pravritti idea, which is um, the yoga vashishta. It um, really hammers the idea of um, your ability to act being the most important factor in determining what happens to you or what um, your success, your happiness. 
Okay, and so um, in this, the Vashishta is the, the teacher or the guru of Rama, and they're having a conversation, and Vashishta says, Indeed, Rama, everything that is here um, at all times in, in samsara, so that's in the world, the, the, the world illusion of samsara. So everything here in this world at all times is obtained by all from correctly applied creativity. Okay, so, the, so this is it. The truth is like the rising of the moon, which inspires tranquility and delight in the heart. And um, the fruits of moving about are obtained from creativity only and not from anything else. And, and it says that, um, so if creativity is, is apparent. It's, um, this is, it is what is happening here. So you, pravritti, you occupying your, your mind and suiting your actions to your highest purposes, this is what is, leads to success. And then it says that this, this idea that my own self-effort is what is the main determining factor in what happens to me, this is not perceived by the deluded and sluggish ones who infer that there is fate. Okay, and so it's so interesting that you, you constantly have to juxtapose this um, letting go and this kind of trusting the source and um, exerting your will to the utmost. And, and the text will alternate between um, urging you to work within those, those two opposite poles. So in another one, it says, um, Vashishta says, foremost, it is the pravritti, active life, pursued in accordance with the sacred text that is producive of all actions. Um, and so, and then it, it says that um, by highest application of highest creativity to the point of gnashing one's teeth, impurity is overcome by purity and creativity of the past is, is conquered. Okay, yeah, so they say that there's two sources of this um, creativity or action, vritti. And, so, and one is um, from the past, okay? And so the word karma comes into it, which means that every action has its fitting consequence, okay? And so when, when we, we act, especially in a, with um, a habit pattern, and we keep repeating behaviors, we bring on consequences that must come. And so in a way, there's momentum from our past actions that carries forward into the present and future. And that um, determines the outcome of our, um, what happens to, to us to a certain degree. But also the other source of um, the action is our actions in the present moment. Okay, and then it says, like, two rams fighting, the, the stronger one always prevails. And so the present moment, your actions in the present moment are said to be stronger than, your, than the momentum from your past actions. Thank God. Okay, and so it says, when, when you have this thought, the human effort of the past binds me. Um, yeah, it's saying, in somebody wise, 
this, that thought does not occur, that human effort of the past binds me. That, um, because what, what you know is that um, by as much effort as good creativity is sought, um, and that is how one's impure in creativity of the past is appeased. So it says, without a doubt, the fault of the past is appeased by um, the actions in the presence, present. And the aim of practice is the destruction of yesterday's faults by today's actions. Whew. So within that, I want to read you a gnarly poem um, by one of the Baal poets. So that's B-A-U-L, so gypsy uh, tribe of, in India that wander and, um, and are they have a devotional practice, constant. And this, um, to me, this poem speaks to the, one of the real pitfalls that, that, that happens to us. And it says, so the start of the poem says, nothing has happened and nothing will happen. What is there is there. <laughs> nothing has happened and nothing will happen. What is there is there. And um, I became a dream, I became a king in my dream, and my subjects occupied the entire earth. Uh, I sat on the throne, ruling like a lion, living a happy life. The world obeyed me. So, right? So in this dream, he becomes a king, and his subjects are all over the entire earth. And he sat on the throne and ruled like a lion, living a happy life, and the world obeyed him. Okay, but then, as I turned in my bed, all was clear. I was not a lion, but a lion's uncle, a jackass, the village idiot. Okay, and so to me, this speaks to the, see, that, that little peculiar thing that's our essence. It's so small in some ways, like the... Our, our little station in life, our little um, unique way of seeing and contributing to the whole, it's so tiny. And so we spend decades uh, searching for something grander, something bigger, or better, or more. And um, in this dream, it's just so beautiful, this poem that like, we, we have our, all have our own version of just thinking that the world is going to we're going to sit on the throne and the world is going to obey us. All right? And don't exclude yourself from that. Every one of us has some kind of grandiose ideas about um, even our practice and the poses we can do or how strong or flexible we'll be. And, and it extends out into um, all areas of our life. And as long as we kind of stay in that delusion of dream and, um, and fail to embrace our little tiny um, kind of oddball way of approaching things, then we're going to suffer. We're going to be a, a lion's uncle or a jackass. <laughs> Love that one. Uh, and then there's a Kabir poem, which is so beautiful. Love this. So it says, the Holy One is described... The Holy One is disguised as an old person in a cheap hotel. And, no, sorry. So the Holy One, disguised as an old person in a cheap hotel, goes out to ask for car fare. Um, but I never seem to catch sight of him. 
Right? So, you, so the Holy One is disguised as an old person, like a homeless person or something, in a cheap hotel. And they go out to ask for car fare, but I never seem to catch sight of him. But then, if I did, what would I ask him for? And here it is. He has already experienced what is missing in my life. See, this Holy One, this deep aspect of self, it's already experienced what's missing in my life. And Kabir says, I belong to this old person. Now, let the events about to come, come. Trust. You see that? And it's so true. Don't you feel like that? I can never quite catch sight of him. But then when you really think about it, it's like, what would you ask for anyway? That, it, the universe is so in touch with what each what is missing in each one of our lives. And it's already provided for you, right? So, so we belong to that deepest part. And I love that old person, right? So like one um, definition of Lao Tzu, who's the author of the Tao Te Ching, is old child, or old master. So you know, we belong to that the deepest kind of wisdom of the world. And so we belong to that. So now let the events about to come, come. Embrace our little station and, and trust. Okay, and then last, I'm going to read you this little thing from uh, James Hillman that I love, which is um, that and it gets at the swarupa, or the essence. And also, the so we've talked a lot about... Um, the Swarupa being our, um, how that yoga is the union of the individual soul with the universal soul. And so we've talked a lot about the individual soul and like your own little um, work in this world and making that connection with your deepest self. And what I love about this little quote from James Hillman is, is it takes it to the, the more universal place of humanity. And so he says, I just love the way he frames this. Um, so he says, and it, it comes from, he, he quotes that, um, that Shakespeare, um, which says, we, we are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little life is rounded with a sleep. And from that sleep, from, okay, and then, so then he, James Hillman says, from that sleep we come into life, and go back to it at the end. And um, from that sleep, we come into life and go back to it at the end, remembering it intermittently in dreams. And then here it is. See, this to me is the essence of the word swarupa. It's before. So he says, before we are makers or doers, right? Before all this stuff that gets kind of layered onto us, we are first dreamers in psychic reality, imaginers, living in psychic connection with the eternal milk of le monde imaginal, the imaginal world. So the milky images of childhood, the ecstatic images of loving, and the prophetic images of old age. Okay, so get that again. Before we're anything else, before we're makers, doers, 
before all of our thoughts about who we could be, we are first dreamers in psychic reality, imaginers. See, that's the drushtahus, lookers, seers, beholders, living in psychic connection with the eternal milk of the imaginal world. The milky images of childhood, the ecstatic images of loving, and the prophetic images of old age. And so, the, the, I love the idea of that, just that we're, we're imaginers and that those examples, like the milky images of our childhood and then the ecstatic images of loving and the prophetic images of old age. And from there, you see, because in yoga, the, to join with the universal self and become a citizen of the world is where you become ultimately compassionate towards all, right? That a monk or a nun uh, kind of gives up life, uh, living life for personal gain. So they, they leave behind uh, marriage or family, they leave behind home, work, uh, or work for material gain, right? And so, and, and they basically kind of devote their whole life to um, prayer or to the welfare of all beings. And so, and the, this is kind of, and whether you're a monk or just a regular Joe out in the world, it's still like so important that we embrace the highest, the best um, of what, and the most eternal thing about being human. So it's like there's something eternal about a, a loving human being, right? That that, that the love, um, peace, uh, nonviolence, uh, generosity, charity, compassion, all of these things are the, the deepest enduring human uh, qualities that we want to foster in the present and uh, cultivate for the future. <laughs> All right. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed my little uh, talk on the, this discovering self through stopping thought. And uh, I just wanted to give you some creative musings on that idea of Chitta Vritti Nirodaha and Tada Drashtahu Swarupe Avastanam. So, Namaste.